This is a 20 by 70 podcast extra. If you're someone who, like us at the Committee of 70, expects more from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C., then subscribe to the 20 by 70 podcast on the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you go to binge great audio. Hello, I'm David Thornburg, President and CEO of the Committee of 70, the longstanding civic organization that helps to educate voters and engage voters uh, and uh, advocate for better government, better politics here in Philadelphia. Welcome. Uh, we have a primary election coming up on May 21st. We're going to be electing city council candidates, judges, uh, city commissioners, uh, and other citywide uh, offices. Uh, we've long believed that uh, running for office is and should be a job interview, uh, and it uh, gives a chance for uh, candidates to uh, be interviewed, be grilled by their constituents uh, from far and uh, wide, and uh, to facilitate that, uh, we have uh, decided to conduct uh, sort of a uh, uh, starter series of job interviews with city council candidates. And uh, that's what we're doing here today. Uh, there are about 50 candidates overall for city council. So uh, it's a challenge to try to keep them all straight for us and for you. Um, but uh, we're going to do our best to interview uh, a number of them. We uh, offered the chance to all city council candidates to join us, uh, limited by the number of slots that we have. Uh, so we're going to be uh, interviewing one after the other in 15-minute segments to give you a chance to figure out who they are and what they're up to and um, and uh, help you make your picks on, uh, on May 21st. So uh, with without any further wind-up, uh, let's get started with our, our first interview. Uh, Drew Murray is a Republican running for city council at large, lives in Center City. He's a regional sales manager with, sales manager with O'Brien business systems. He's been an active citizen in his neighborhood association as a board member of the Center City District, and this is his first campaign uh, for a seat on council. So uh, welcome, Drew. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. All right. Um, I told Drew we're going to moderate these uh, lightly, uh, so most of the time is going to be uh, yours, I sure. think, as it should be. Uh, but uh, from time to time, I'll uh, try to drop in a question. We'll go about uh, we'll go about 15 minutes. So let me start with the first and most basic and mo most fundamental. Drew, why are you running? Sure. So just to give a little bit of background on me, I was actually born in Villanova, Pennsylvania. I still consider myself a Philadelphian, like most people in the greater Philadelphia area. I attended St. Joseph's Prep, and that's kind of what brought me to the city. And when you attend St. Joe's Prep. Uh, which is an all-boys school, they teach you to live your life as a man for others. And I've always taken that to heart. And I live every day trying to help other people. And to that end, I've always been involved in my local civic association. For the past eight years, I've been a board member of the Logan Square Neighborhood Association, which is the community that surrounds the Benjamin Franklin Parkway. And for the past four years, I've been president of that organization. And a lot of people have told me, what a great job they feel that I've done. A lot of people have asked me to run, said, you know, you've done a great job with the Civic. Uh, in Philadelphia, the Civic Associations, they, they have more uh, of a role than most Civics, than in other cities, I should say. Uh, they're a registered community organization. You are truly like a mayor of your little area of the city of Philadelphia. So a lot of people ask me to run. I've 
feel that I have done a great job helping the people in my community. And the reason I want to run for Philadelphia City Council at large is because I want to help people now at a greater level all over the city of Philadelphia, not, not just in my district, which is five. I want to help people around the entire city of Philadelphia. So that, that is at its core why I want to run. I want to help people all around the city of Philadelphia. Say, say a little bit more on specifics beyond just your desire to help people. Sure. Well, if you want to go through specific, specific issues, one of the biggest issues I have heard is uh, the communities, the incredible development that is happening in the city, but people are being pushed out of their homes because of higher taxes. And I want to, I want to, continue the development in the communities in Philadelphia. I think it can be great, you know, when these communities get get better, businesses come to those communities, empty lots are, are, are built upon, but how do we keep the people in those communities who have been there for 10, 20, 30 years? They have what have made the communities great, so we need to have programs to keep them in the communities. Philadelphia has a horrible problem with assessing their properties. They, we, we did AVI uh, about five, six years ago, and that was supposed to create an actual value of our, of our parcels, of our properties. And we continue to reassess, and we continue to have pre problems with reassessing. I want to look at the assessment of properties and let it be done the way it should be done by the market. When a house is sold, when a parcel is sold, that is the market value. We, we don't need to continue to reassess. And from there going forward, the property should only increase by a certain cost of living every year. That way, if, if your neighbor's house goes up an incredible amount when it's sold, that doesn't have to affect your house. And that will help people stay in those communities because they won't be pushed out by their tax bill going up 10, 15% every year, which over a five-year period is almost going to double their, their taxes. So uh, that's one program that I'd like to see. The, the market should determine the value of houses. And after that determination, the cost of the taxes should only go up by the cost of living or some other factor thereof. Some would say that's a good problem to have because if we were talking about declining assessments over time and people were watching the value of their houses decline, they might feel uh, differently yes, about yes, the whole thing. Yes, but it, there, the issue is with the higher taxes and a lot of communities where people can't afford, where, where they're on a fixed income or elderly, it's very difficult for them to to keep up with those higher taxes. Okay, so that's that's issue one, is uh, dealing with the tax assessment issue. Mm -hmm. uh, what else do you got on your platform? So the other issues people ask me about, I call them the three S's. It's soda tax, sanctuary city, and safe injection sites. Uh, so I'll, I'll tackle one at a time. Uh, the soda tax, I am 100% for what the soda tax brings, meaning universal pre-K, and the rebuild program. I'm also the president of a local park, the Friends of Cox Park, that is part of the rebuild program. So I'm 100% for what the soda tax brings. I just don't, I'm not in favor of the, of the tax itself. That tax should come from a broader base and not a specific industry. So I'm opposed to the soda tax. Our sanctuary city policy, I believe we need to work with the federal government and not against them. I believe on a national level, we absolutely need immigration reform. I'd like to see the federal government government make the path to citizenship easier. The city of Philadelphia is just like our country is a city of, of immigrants. We're all either the, the child, grandchild, great grandchild of immigrants. Many of us 
are immigrants ourselves, but we should not be working against the federal government. So I'm against our sanctuary city policies. Someone said we all either came over on a boat or a plane. It's just a question of when. Exactly. I, I, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm of Irish Catholic descent, and uh, it was my great-great-grandparents who came over here. And there's, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not unique, obviously. So, uh, And safe injection sites. So that's why I call it the three S's. Uh, I hear a lot of people talking about safe injection sites. I believe addiction is absolutely a disease. We need to get funding both at a state, federal, and, and also municipal level to help these people. But safe injection sites, number one, enables the users. It's telling the users that it's okay to do these drugs. Uh, I um, understand the harm reduction. I understand wanting to help these people and to stop a, a, an overdose, but enabling addicts does not help them in the long run. They're still killing themselves every time they put a needle inside, whether they, whether it's an overdose immediately, God forbid, or if it's just over time, they are putting poison into their body. And the second reason I am so opposed to safe injection sites is because of the communities that they're in. I am the president of the local neighborhood association and NRCL. And when I talk to people in my community, even some people who are for these harm reduction sites, uh, they're, they, they believe it's a good idea in someone else's neighborhood. No one wants it in their own neighborhood. So anyone that I've talked to that said they're for it, as soon as I asked them, okay, are you for it? If it's you know where I live, if there's one on the Benjamin Franklin Parkway and they're not, uh, it's, it's, it's not good for our neighborhoods. It's not good for our, our children. It, it, it creates a very unsafe situation. So uh, I'm against the safe injection sites Okay, as well. so you, you gave us a, a good overview of uh, what you, uh, where you stand on a mm -hmm. couple of core issues. Sure. Um, I have to go to a, 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 a question for uh, any Republican running for city council this time around, which is uh, unless things change dramatically in a way that we can't yet foresee, uh, there will be either two or three Republicans uh, serving on the 17-person city yes. council. So how do you make a difference? How, how, how do you play your cards if you're uh, dealing with that kind of a lopsided sure. uh, majority? That's a great question. Status? Yeah, you're not going to bring legislation and you're not going to get the with three votes, you're not going to get that legislation passed. So it's, it's about developing relationships. I, I truly believe whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, we all want the same things. We want good schools for our children. We want good jobs. We want a safe city to live in. It's just the only difference is what is the path to get there? So whether you're Democrat or Republican, you got to sit down, you got you to talk, you need to compromise. Oftentimes the answer to get to those ends is somewhere in the middle. So just because you don't, you're not necessarily going to have the votes as a, a Republican, it doesn't mean you cannot make a huge difference. You can bring things in legislatively. You can work with your colleagues to get them to pass. They're all, they're all reasonable. Let me use that as a chance to mm -hmm. sort of pivot sure. uh, to the next set of questions, which is uh, what have you done? Sure. Tangible. Uh, accomplishments that have benefited your community in particular. Can you describe a situation where you were in that, let's say, minority status, uh, where, you know, you were representing maybe a, a neighborhood or a, a set of interests that were uh, quite different from uh, the, the prevailing uh, crowd, and you were able to sort of uh, swing the 
the uh, decision sure. uh, uh, towards your point of view? Sure. So um, I'm the president of the Friends of Cox Park, and I'm also the president of the Logan Square Neighborhood Association. Uh, can't say I was in, I'm ever in the minority in, as president of Logan Square Neighborhood Association, but if you've ever been in an RCO meeting or a civic association meeting, they can be a little crazy and people have to come together. Uh, one of the big things that we deal with in the RCO, at the RCO level are zoning issues. Developers come, if they need a variance, they are looking for a letter of non-opposition from us. So Logan Square Neighborhood Association, we have a, a reputation, a good reputation of working with developers. So what typically happens, a developer will come, they'll show us a project, and we want to work with developers and we want to get that project to a level where our community is comfortable with it and where we see it benefiting our community. Oftentimes that doesn't happen the first go around. So developer comes in, we'll see a project. It's about compromise. It's about, okay, we might not like certain aspects of the project, but what can you do, number one, to change it? What can you do to make it less impactful, both on a construction level and on a long-term long level of what this project is gonna to do to our community. And, and we are in Center City. These are big projects like the Comcast Tower, uh, projects like Riverwalk on, on, uh, on the river. These that are very impactful to people in the community, both long-term and short-term. So it's about sitting down, compromising, developing contracts with these developers and also bringing the community together. You walk into these meetings, there are oftentimes people on both sides saying they love the project, it's gonna be great for our community, while other people are saying, this is gonna be impactful for me, this is gonna be a project that is built for four years and it's gonna affect my quality of living. So it's about bringing those people together, figuring out compromises, talking, number one. I think that is a huge thing that we right. do not do on a federal level, that's for sure right now. And on a municipal level, we need to sit down, discuss, and compromise, and get to a solution that works for the greater good. So tell me, just drill into that a little bit further, because sure. uh, I'm, I'm, I know you've been active in your civic association, mm -hmm. the Friends of uh, Cox Park. Tell me a, a particular story about a particular accomplishment. Uh, not just a generality, but okay. a, something that you made happen uh, that you're proud of and that you would project into your uh, city council career. Sure. Uh, I'll go to the Friends of Cox Park. When I first became president, the reason became president, I became president was it's a great park. It's 50 years old, but it's never been renovated. And it is, it is out of date. It is unsafe. And this was, God, almost eight years ago. And so we went in as a group of young parents and wanted to renovate the park. And we thought it was great. We, we had a lot of momentum. We were working with Parks and Recreation and a group of neighbors who really did not want to see that park renovated came out and just drew a line in the sand and said, we don't want this park renovated. And we're gonna, we're, in fact, we're gonna designate it for historic designation with the City of Philadelphia Historical Commission. So it can't be renovated. And it was, uh, you know, it was a neighborhood disagreement for, for sure. And nothing like them. Oh, it is. It was, uh, I mean, and this was in the newspapers. It was, it's a small little park, but it got a lot of attention. And I'm proud to say that, you know, and this was a long process. This not only was my being president of Friends of Cox Park, it, it went into my being president of Logan Square Neighborhood Association because it falls under that umbrella as well. And I'm proud to say that we got to the point where we came up with a plan a conceptual plan that even those 
who were originally opposed to the renovation of this park actually really liked. And I was able to bring people together to sit down, figure out what is best, work with architects, work with the designers, sit down with the community, and we came up with a compromise. We came up with something that did work for everyone. And if you were there at the very beginning, the meetings eight years ago, you would have thought these people are never gonna be able to sit down at the table together ever again. And now we're to the point we're still we're still trying to get the park renovated because of funding reasons, but we're all basically on, on the same page. There, there's still some details to work out, but right. that is something that I feel that I really had a big part in both as president of Friends of Cox Park and the president of the Logan Square Neighborhood Association to bring everyone together and figure out a compromise. Got it. So we just have a couple of minutes, but I, I want you to talk about uh, things that we're concerned about, sure. which is that there seems to be a general sense around Philadelphia that, that City Hall's broken. Sure. Uh, and that means not just the people that work in that building, but the political process uh, that uh, puts those people in that building. So, so talk about that. We've put out some thoughts uh, called uh, Philadelphia Resolution One about how to fix our politics and, and fix City Hall. But what are your thoughts? Sure. Uh, another issue that comes up is councilmanic uh, prerogative, and that's something I've heard a lot. And so what do we do about it? I, that's a really tough decision because, yeah, let's say I am one of uh, three Republicans as City Council at large. I'm one of seven of 17. So it's gonna be very hard to convince the 10 district council people to end that tradition. And it's and not legislative. Councilmanic prerogative really yeah. doesn't affect at large yeah. council people. Well, it affects the entire city. And, and right. actually, so I would say it does affect the entire city. So, so it affects all of us. And so how, how do you fix that? Number one, I, I think the seven at large must take a stand and state that councilmanic prerogative needs to end. And I think voters need to really look closely and, and demand from their council people who they are electing that this tradition has to end. We need, you know, so there's 17. So that means you need a few district people to come forward and say that they will end the tradition. And there are a few people running now who will say, who, who will say that they are against it. So I think we need to, to listen to people who are saying they're against it. And if you really want it to end, you need to demand it of your district council person, right. whether it's at the voting booth or, 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 or for those that are uncontested, unfortunately, you know, you need to demand it of them face to face. Yep. Good. We've got to put a wrap on this, but okay. uh, Drew, thank you for thank joining you very us. Much. Uh, best of luck to you. Uh, and I know you're telling me you have two daughters at home that don't see you very much. Yes. So my suggestion is get them out on the campaign trail. That's right. Thank <laughs> you very much. Okay. Uh, that about wraps it up uh, here at the Committee of 70. I, again, am David Thornburg. Uh, special thanks to the St uh, Thomas Gelton Harrison Foundation that has helped fund uh, these interviews. Uh, encourage all of you to take a look at uh, the Committee of 70's Voter Guide, which you can get to by uh, one of two ways. One is you can go to our website at 70.org. That's the word 70. Uh, also, you can download our We Vote app from the uh, App Store, however you get your apps, uh, which puts in your hand an entire suite of uh, voter information and education tools. So, uh, And of course, get out to the polls, make a plan for voting on uh, May 21st. Uh, thanks for joining us, and thanks again to you, Drew. Thank you. David Thornburg, President and CEO of the Committee of 70, Philadelphia's long-standing civic leadership group that educates and engages voters in the election process 
and advocates for better government here in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. May 21st is election day, primary election day. The way we look at it, running for office is a job interview. Uh, it's a chance for applicants and candidates to talk to the hiring committee. We'll call them the voters. Uh, and in that light, we've been scheduling a marathon series of interviews with uh, council candidates. Uh, coming up is number 13 with Councilman David O. Uh, nothing unlucky about that, I promise. No, no, it's a good number. <laughs> uh, I don't know where your ballot position is. But, uh, I'm sure everybody stays away from that one. Um, but uh, this is a chance for you to hear from them about their uh, their plans, their accomplishments, and some thoughts on how we can make this whole process uh, work better. So, uh, Councilman Rowe, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for doing this, and thanks for having me. Yep. Um, let's just start with the, sort of the most basic, most fundamental question that you get, uh, w whether you're running the first time or the tenth time, and that's this. Why are you running uh, for office? Um, that's kind of... Uh a two-part question for me because I am running for re-election. Mm -hmm. So let, let me start by saying I ran for um, city council initially, and I ran three times before actually winning uh, with the idea that we could do better in Philadelphia if we expanded our reach, if we got involved in the global economy, if we looked at things like the, the, uh, the uh, creative, innovative economy, um, if we really started looking at uh, our people, our individuals, what they aspire to be, can they do that here in Philadelphia? And, and so I really ran on the idea of improving the economy and improving opportunities within the city. When I got into office, one of the first things I did was I, I said, we should create a committee on global opportunities and the creative innovative economy. And that committee was created and to my surprise, I was uh, asked to be the chairman. And so I started with that, going overseas, going to other cities, talking to employers, investors, um, going into things like filmmaking, television, uh, music economy, and uh, coming from a rather poor part of Philadelphia, Cobbs Creek, Southwest Philly, I was familiar with a lot of the problems on a firsthand basis, dumping, crime, poor, you know, performing schools, those type of things. What I did learn, however, in this process is that to many uh, businesses, employers around the world, Philadelphia is otherwise a great location. They don't, they don't, they don't see us having high taxes because they're looking all around the world. Mm -hmm. And we're a great location, our universities, all those things. But our workforce was a big problem for them. And that means uh, at the middle level, the lower level, entry level. And it was enough that they did not want to come to Philadelphia. Um, plus, our government is unstable. It wasn't really the high taxes, low taxes, regulation. It was that it was unpredictable. And so from there, I really uh, got the idea that uh, you cannot separate jobs, opportunities from education, public schools, um, a career training and things like that. So one of the first things I did uh, was I looked at the competitiveness of Philadelphia on a global basis and then I looked at best practices in public education around the world, not just here in the United States but, but everywhere. Looking particularly at jurisdictions, cities, uh, countries, uh, counties that were most like Philadelphia or even more challenged. 
And whether you're talking about Finland, South Korea, or for VET, vocational educational training. Germany. Ger Germany, Austria, right, Switzerland. I went down to the embassy. I met people. We Skyped. We talked to Hong Kong. And so I held a hearing after looking at all this data to put together what is common about best practices in education, uh, career job development that we could implement in Philadelphia. And I went down to uh, the, the, the Department of Education, Washington, DC, and, and even had a hearing where I brought in the former uh, chair or head of President Obama's education transition team, uh, Professor Linda Darling Hammond. And so this has been my effort to kind of reshape, rebuild Philadelphia. I think the issue is what we always hear, tale of two cities. What I would say, however, it's not a tale of, of different geographic locations. It's a tale of how people in the same location, Center City, North Philly, um, you know, the far Northeast, uh, uh, in front of different agencies, corporations, entities are treated very differently mm -hmm. in our city. And I think that has led to a lot of problems in crime, in uh, depression, um, in, in underperformance. And so that is what I began working on. But what I have learned in that process is, well, that's the aspirational research side of things. But it takes time. You run into the reality of yeah. democracy, which is people with different ideas, but also uh, procedures and policy and what you need to get anything done, nine votes or 12 yep. votes overriding vetoes. Yep. Let me uh, pick up on that because sure. that's about actually where I was sort of headed. Yes. Uh, you seem like you have an appetite for thinking big, thinking globally, uh, looking at best practices elsewhere. But when it comes down to it, you're in city council, there's 17 people, you need nine or 12, yes. depending on the circumstances. And you've got a package, a set of proposals, well, so a set of ideas into a proposal. Yes that has uh, a budget consequence to it, Yes. may or may not uh, involve different you know, departments or new initiatives or whatever. So you've been in council this for two terms. Yes. Uh, one more thing just to add to your challenge. Yes. As a Republican uh, and as a council member at large, Yes. some would say that the, the power in council is in Democratic District Council people. And they'd be correct. Okay. So how do you make this work? Or, or more precisely, can you give us an example of when you've been able to make it work, to, to move some piece of what you're interested in? Yeah, I, I've been uh, able to make it work based on this idea. We are not all supposed to agree. We are supposed to be honest, earnest, um, hardworking, and um, come with our data and information, or at least with our, our constituents' interest. And, and there's a variety of reasons why people take positions. But what we share is a desire to see a common outcome, healthy people, happy mm -hmm. people, well-educated people, people with jobs, that type of thing. And so when I approach um, my colleagues, uh, I will have that in mind. Um, can we achieve what you want working together um, and so uh, one of the first things I did was um, to introduce a bill to fund uh, the firefighters contract. And I did that after looking at it for, for a while and it predated me that, you know, the administration said something like we don't have uh, um, $240 million, so we can't, uh, 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 you know, um, 
comply with the contract, we can't honor the contract. The firefighter is saying, no, no, it's 64 million. And so eventually I introduce a bill to transfer uh, or to appropriate 64 million for the firefighter's contract. And it passed, the mayor vetoed it, and then we overrode the veto. That's an example of what I think we all believed in council that actually the firefighters were right. They mm -hmm. had a contract, it was to be honored, and appeal after appeal, the administration seemed to just be fighting the fact they, that they didn't want to honor the contract, but the, the appeals were based on the fact that they said we don't have 240 million, but in fact it was just 64 million. Mm -hmm. so, so that's the way we work together. I did a, um, I did a, uh, a, a, a tax credit for hiring returning veterans. Mm -hmm. and You're a veteran. I am a veteran, and what I appreciate about veterans for our city is what I just said. We need a better workforce uh, profile to attract and retain employers. Mm -hmm. And so even for Philadelphians who didn't serve in the military, they may lose their job because their employer cannot find the demographic of workforce that they want and they're looking elsewhere. So by inviting uh, people to apply in Philadelphia who have skills, who have been trained, um, then we have a way of retaining jobs. And so, for example, Comcast, one of our employers, has a 10,000 veteran hiring um, initiative, and that helps everybody. So what I did was a bill that if you're a returning veteran, your employer would get $5,000 off their business taxes three years in a row if they keep you for three years in a row. That's $15,000. And so 10 veterans is $150,000. For some small employers, that's a good incentive to hire a skilled, capable person. Mm -hmm. But for larger employers, it's about investing money into a process of understanding what veterans did while they were in the military, what their skills are, things like that. And that was unanimously supported by council. A area where we had kind of a flip-flop, which is interesting to me, is uh, the idea of uh, squatters who squat in occupied homes mm -hmm. where someone, for example, takes their mother to the hospital and six months later when they return home, there's five people living in her house. And because the police in, in some cases or in actually, unfortunately, many cases don't arrest the people in the house, though there's no evidence that they're actually legitimately, you know, there or leasing or renting. It takes eight to 14 months to get the people out through a court process. And so I wrote simply a bill to uh, get the, uh, the homeowners in court within five days. It, it would have been a process still, but we were able to one, show people that yes, there is this problem because council members were, is there, this really a problem? Does it mm -hmm. sound like it's, it's too fantastic? And through witnesses and testimony, we showed them it was real. And so we were able to pass a bill by a majority, and then I think a month and a half later, two months, the opposite bill came in and kind of undid the entire bill. So th that is an interesting process of yeah. convincing colleagues, working on it, and then having a counter bill and losing on that issue. But we continue, you know, I continue yeah. to work on it. And I think the story is, you know, um, steady wins the race. It's a matter of persistence and, and doggedness and, and just keep pushing along. Yeah, you may have just answered the question I was going to yes, ask, okay. but I'll give you a chance to expound yes, further. Yes. Um, so prior to entering council, you were assistant district attorney. Yes. So you're trained as a lawyer. Yes. Military background. So yes. uh, I'm going to suggest there's a certain way of thinking and of persuading people that comes along with that yes. kind of line of work. Could be. Could be. But um, what have you found? What What's your style in council 
to try to persuade your colleagues to support or to uh, oppose something that yes. you'd like them to support them more. Well, to make a long, complicated story much shorter, what I've learned is that however or whatever people think of elected officials, they are motivated by the voters. Mm -hmm. Not all the voters, just the ones that vote for them. Yeah. So that means if there are 100 voters and 50 people don't vote, uh, they're looking, they're interested at the 50 who yeah. do vote. Right. And if um, 30 out of 50 are the ones making the decision, they're looking at those 30s. Yep. So what I try to do is I connect with the voters that matter to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I try to show them or have a conversation about the problem. And if they agree with me, they may not agree with me. I ask them, you know, if it is important enough for you to talk to your elected official. Right. And okay, on a, in a good way, you could say elected res officials respond to their voters. In a bad light, because uh, I know we have some cynical people out there, they look and see, can I get away with this? Because the voters aren't paying attention. If I can, yeah. I will. Yeah. But if I can't, I won't. Yeah. Let me, let me uh, we, we just got a couple more minutes. Yeah. I'll, I'll pick up the thread there, because I think it speaks to the last bucket of things we want to yes. talk about. Um, which is our concern that these days, uh, despite the fact that we have a burgeoning millennial population, there's a lot of interest in you know, politics, uh, certainly at the national level, but also at the local level, yes. that our, our political parties and the political process is not responding to that. It's, yes. not, it's not open enough. Um, we shut out independents from voting in primary elections. Often our endorsements on both sides, Republican and Democrat, are, uh, are not democratic uh, processes. Uh, they're insider deals. Um, a lot of folks have criticized councilmanic prerogative, again, mm -hmm. as sort of a backroom deal that nobody knows until it's done. So do you share that concern? And do you, uh, some folks have said, and, and we now mm -hmm. support this, it's time for a, a, a serious consideration of term limits. Where are you on on that set of issues? Well, I, I agree that everything you said is a concern. Uh, I have some different opinions, however. I would say the reason they're a concern is because we don't have informed, vigilant voters. And mm -hmm. so as much as you want to throw it on the system, yeah. I would say the magic formula to this is always educated, vigilant voters. Um, I am someone who, as you may know, uh, was one of the five endorsed um, Republicans to run for city council, but truly they're really looking at two, and the other three of us are kind of like extra. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I never had the support of the party actually. And if I if they had any idea that I would do as well as I did, I lost. But I don't think they would have endorsed me, um, you know, even for that. And so I've kind of battled my own party in my first. Well, I was ignored in the first race, and then I battled them in the second race, along with, um, so I battled the Republican powers, the Democratic powers, and every other power. But I won the election by seven votes in my second race four years later, and then they told me they didn't count the absentee ballots, right. which are actually not legal, and yep. so I lost. Yep. I lost by 122 absentee ballots, and then four years later, I ran again and had quite a, um, you know, very, very, uh, uh, ruckus kind of a nasty race, but then I won. And then when I ran for re-election, I had to kind of face off with them again, and I won again. And here I sit facing off with them once again, and who knows what will happen. Yeah. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is I think it's important for the candidates to to really understand what they're getting into 
and to not just be one and done. Mm -hmm. If you're going to run, if you're going to be committed to it, you have to get your name out. You have to show people you're working so that they know who you are. Once they know who you are, why vote for you? Yep. And it's a process. And, and I wish I were a millionaire, or I guess that's even not even the proper term these days. It's mm -hmm. like a million dollars. Anyway, the whole point is, if you don't have the wherewithal, and I didn't, I did it with basically putting up posters and things like yeah. that. And so you can fight the system. The system probably has a candidate that they like, and it's probably not you if you're, if you're kind of new to this and you're a reformer and things like that. Um, I would say that I think transparency is critical. I mm -hmm. like electronic voting, by the way. One of the things mm -hmm. that I think would really help, you know, is whenever you vote in city council, you press a button. And it shows up on a screen and it's recorded and, you know, because many votes are voice votes and people yep. don't, you know, so you don't know what people are doing. Term limits, I'm not a fan of for this reason. Um, and I'll explain it because I know it's, it's very popular. Um, I look at choice. Um, when I was running, I had uh, research experience uh, in other areas and things that I, 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 I thought would be very helpful. Aspiration, aspirational candidate but I didn't actually know how things work. Mm -hmm. I think when you have someone who you're disappointed in because they haven't done all the wonderful things that other people say they can do like in one term, it may be because the reality of what they face in city council as a mayor in elected office is not like someone who has no experience or right. maybe they're just lazy, I don't know which one. But I think the <laughs> voters have a chance to say, listen, Here's a person who I think is doing a good job trying to do things and hitting a brick wall and fighting every day against that brick wall in the trenches of battle mm -hmm. versus here's a really great person with fantastic ideas, a lot of energy, but no experience. Now, yeah. do I want a combination of the two? Do I only want you know aspirational people? Do I only want experienced people? But I yeah. think it's a choice. I think anytime and I've said this because I wasn't for term limits when I was not elected. I said, listen, if I'm challenging an incumbent, I need to show the voters that I am a better choice than the incumbent. I don't want someone to say, well, the incumbent can't run, and therefore all you aspirational people, you can go battle it out, but you have no experience right. or real no, no knowledge of not just the procedures, which are a bear in and of themselves, um, but also the politics of it. Yeah. And for example, the budget, it took me a few years to understand that the budget is not very detailed and has transfer ordinances and has a lot of uh, money that is misidentified. And so I've ended up every year kind of going through the budget and, and pulling out the big uh, money that is just kind of mislabeled, mm -hmm. that isn't going to be used for what it says it's going to be used. And I try to redirect that. And of course, I've been unsuccessful in eight years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're pointing out, you know, that... Um the, the balance in it, let's say a healthy government, healthy legislature is that you've got some level of experience and some level of aspiration and, uh, and uh, energy and ideas. And they're not mutually exclusive, no, but, no. but I guess, you know, our concern is, it, and uh, maybe this year it's a legitimate well. concern. A lot of folks are thinking yes. we've probably swung too far in one direction. Yeah. There's a lot of folks True. that have spent what seems like a lifetime yes. in city council. But could I say, say this? I know we're sure. ending. Uh, I challenge the administration on these um, improper assessments. Mm -hmm. I think they're illegal taxes. Mm -hmm. I challenge I challenge the administration in our city 
on not trying to get back on street parking and the revenues and the control ultimately through a contract with the parking authority. Mm -hmm. I challenge our, our education system to implement best practices in education to make the reforms, summer learning, equity in education, technology, how much of a dollar goes in the classroom as opposed to all the other places political alliance, it's not just politicians that do things for political reasons. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of folks in our town who keep things the way they are. One of the things yep. that I would say is while we assume that the new candidate is going to try to make changes, we do have existing elected officials who, who fight the system, yep. take the blows. Uh, I at least have done that in certain occasions, and I'm not the only one. Yeah. Um, I can think of my, my, my colleague, Maria Quinone Sanchez and others, who fight the system. And, and so that would be worthy of consideration of voters. Now, if we have term limits, she's gone, I'm gone, yeah. a bunch of other council yeah. people are yeah. gone, who, well, who it's, fight it's, the system. But as you know, it's all a question of, uh, yes. of, of balance. And, yes. uh, so anyway, a worthy debate, and, yes. and it sounds like you've, you've given quite a bit of thought. So. Thanks for being with us, uh, and uh, best of luck to you, as we've said to everybody. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, uh, I think you folks uh, who run for office, uh, it's easy to criticize, but we have to admire anybody that wants to take this job on because it's not an easy one. So. Well, thank you, yeah. and vote on May 21st. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to run for office, please do. There you go. Now, let me just pick that up. Uh, as Councilman said, primary election May 21st. Hope this has been helpful, helpful to you. Take a look at the other video interviews that we've recorded, and also go to our website at 70.org to, to take a look at, I think, our world-class voter guide. Download our WeVote app to your phone, which puts everything you need in the palm of your hand to be a super voter and to make the best choice that you can on May 21st. And, and on that magic date, make a plan to vote, share it with your friends, encourage your neighbors, anybody, even if they're not remotely interested in politics, speak now or forever hold your peace. So thank you for tuning in and watching, and uh, we'll see you at the polls. Welcome to Studio C70 at the Committee of 70. Election day is May 21st. It is a big primary, a whole bunch of offices on the ballot, judicial offices, city uh, offices, 50 plus people running for city council, uh, and elections are job interviews. Uh, the job applicants are the candidates, and the voters are the hiring committee. We have one of the job applicants with us this morning, uh, Adrian Rivera-Reyes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, so we, we only have 15 minutes here. Let's, let's jump right in. Let's ask one of the big questions. Why are you running? So I'm gonna start with a little bit of my background and story. Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. I come from a working class family, like many families here in Philly. Um, you know, my story is very similar in the way that my parents struggled to be able to afford a home. My parents struggled to pay for healthcare, which we couldn't afford for a number of years. And my parents also, you know, struggled to, to send me and my brother to school. And that is a story that is common to many Philadelphians in the city, especially when we look at, um, at the poverty rate of 26% in Philly. But, you know, despite all of that, the two things that were always constant was I always had a roof over my head and I always had a good education. Good enough for me to, um, come here to Philly and get my doctorate in cancer research. Mm -hmm. And so I'm the first doctor in my family, and that's, you know, a source of pride for my parents. Um, but, you know, I have this scientific background, this healthcare background, and I've been dedicating my life up to this point to developing treatments and therapies for cancer. And so throughout my education, especially here in Philly at the University of Pennsylvania, 
I become a labor organizer for the Graduate Employees Together UPenn, mm -hmm. which was our unionization effort for grad students. Mm -hmm. um, I led the science policy and diplomacy group at Penn as well for three years, which kind of started my in into politics and getting involved with um, groups like 314 Action, which is a national um, group that endorses and helps candidate uh, scientists run for office. Mm -hmm. Um, so through that, I started getting more into the organizing world, um, the activist world, mm -hmm. um, and then I served as a policy analyst for Molly Sheehan's campaign, mm -hmm. who ran for Congress in Pennsylvania's 5th District, which mm -hmm. includes parts of South mm -hmm. Philly. So I am a scientist that, you know, with a healthcare background, and that's what I will be bringing to city council is mm -hmm. the healthcare background, but also the mentality that, you know, we need to look at evidence and facts before enacting policies, that mm -hmm. we need evidence-based policy making. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, especially at the federal level, mm -hmm. um, we see that um, alternative facts and whatever that means, mm -hmm. and, and that's something that we are lacking right now. We don't have scientists on city council, we don't mm -hmm. have doctors on city council. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's the other aspect, um, you know, I narrow it down to issues, but also diversity and representation. Mm -hmm. I belong to many communities in this city um, like the LGBTQ community the you know, I'm a millennial and also Latino that mm -hmm. have very low representation um, in our city council or no representation at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've already gotten into uh, a little bit about your, your background and uh, your work history, the, the skills that you bring to the table. Could you speak to a little bit about, you know, if, if you were to be part of the next council, you know, an example of like how that background like you'd bring to a specific issue and, and then how you'd work with your colleagues right. in that legislature? Um, and that's extremely important, that second mm -hmm. fact, that second part that you just asked, because we know that to get anything done on city council, we need nine votes, right? Mm -hmm. yep. um, so it is, you know, it is very important that we are able to find common ground and then be able to set up policies. I always talk that the cornerstone of uh, my campaign is the Municipal Green New Deal for Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And this is not only a plank or platform that's about climate justice itself. Mm -hmm. It's also about economic justice. It's also about creating jobs in our city. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also about racial equity, mm -hmm. right? Um, there is a lot of policy that we can draft and legislate from the climate change side, like updating building codes to meet green standards, making sure that we run SEPTA on renewable and electric energy. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, but when we talk about, um, you know, building, we also have to talk about our schools and how do we weatherize them, right? It's not only yeah. about getting rid of the lead and asbestos, which is a problem that then leads to other healthcare issues. And when we look at, you know, the asthma rates in our city and especially black children in the city are extremely high. Yeah. And so, you know, that is, these are healthcare issues that are exacerbated by, by climate change and poor uh, control of our ecosystem, but also by policy that hasn't been implemented. Yeah. And I always say like, wouldn't it be great that our economy moves entirely to a green new economy, which is where the future is taking us. Mm -hmm. And then that we are able to have a scientist on city council, right? Helping lead the way in that, in that sense. But then also that we keep in mind that all of this has to be coupled with job training programs and that we are training our workforce, our Philadelphia workforce for the jobs of the future, mm -hmm. right? We cannot do this in vacuum. It has to be thinking about about the people and you know getting them jobs so that we can help you know everyone climb out of poverty mm -hmm. and then of course this touches on education and funding our schools which is extremely important because you know like i mentioned from my personal story yeah. a good education is extremely important for our communities and our neighbors to climb out of poverty 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's certainly a, a great deal of policy that's happening at the local and state level. I, I feel like part of that is because uh, there's so much less policy coming out of D.C. Yes. And there has been for a while. And there's a, there's a whole, whole set of issues there, which, which we won't get into uh, this morning. Um, so, you know, because there is so much more policy being made, not just in, at the state level in Harrisburg, but in Philadelphia, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the decision making process for, 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 you know, for this stuff. I mean, how, how City Hall works. Is it representative? Is it responsive? Is it open, transparent? If, you know, if there, there are your if there's several things that you think uh, could change for the better in how City Hall works, what would those things be? I mean, we definitely have to be more transparent. You know, um, going back to the evidence-based part, mm -hmm. right? We really have to be in tune to looking at the facts, looking at the data, mm -hmm. and then engaging with communities. Mm -hmm. And one example that I'm going to bring up is, for example, this uh, liquid natural gas plant that mm -hmm. City Council is voting on that they want to put in Southwest Philly. Mm -hmm. Number one, that's not green energy. Number two, it's not good for the environment. Number three, that's a community that's already afflicted with high asthma rates, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not gonna clean the air. And you know, most importantly, the community doesn't even want it, mm -hmm. right? So there is a lack in that way with people just and our council trying to push for agendas and specific mm -hmm. policies that are not beneficial for communities mm -hmm. and are not beneficial for our future, mm -hmm. right? So we need to be very open and transparent with that. You know, that is a very easy decision that if you look at the facts and the data, we know that gas is in the future and we mm -hmm. should not be investing in that, that we should take that space to clean it up and then start investing in solar power, which number one would help um, transform our economy um, we can talk about microgrids, but then also it would be a source of revenue for mm -hmm. the city because we could be selling solar energy mm -hmm. elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to talk about that. We also have to talk about councilmanic prerogative and mm -hmm. what that means, right? And so, you know, as an at-large candidate, we have less of a Levi on that sense, mm -hmm. but we need to be electing people that are willing to to break with this tradition. And, mm -hmm. you know, as a scientist, the first question that we always ask is why? Mm -hmm. Right. And that is one of those traditions mm -hmm. that we our current council members have lagged the initiative to be like, you know, just to ask, but why? Yeah. And so, you know, I think that people are paying attention and that we need to start there. We need to be open. We need to talk about our ward system and how mm -hmm. to open it up mm -hmm. to to committee people and mm -hmm. the residents. Right. Mm -hmm. If we want to have a truly democratic society and mm -hmm. a truly transparent government, mm -hmm. the people need to have a say. Mm -hmm. And so in everything that I do, including, for example, when I propose this Green New Deal, mm -hmm. um, this is not coming from me as a candidate. This is coming from me as a candidate, from input from the communities and also from the experts in that area. Right. Like yeah. this has to be this has to be a collective effort in order for us to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, we we uh, at the committee said we put out this this new platform, Philadelphia Resolution One this past week, PR1. Uh, we're calling it a, a nod to HR1 down in DC. It's a pro-democracy pro, pro agenda. Uh, you know, up for discussion. We, you know, we hope that the candidates and, and the, the city at large are, are, are talking about this stuff a bit more. You know, you just you just named the the ward system. Is the ward system, ward system has a really powerful role in our, our elections and, and who wins public office. Right. I'm sure, like you've you've learned a bit uh, in, in getting into this stuff. So, and you know, the you know, we we at somebody, uh, we love elections. So, could you, as far as like how elections work in in Philadelphia, whether whether we're talking you know, structurally, who can vote, who can't, you know, turnout, the, you know, uh, ward leaders and committee people's role, roles in this. You know, what's what's been your experience so far, and and what would you like to see you know different? Let's say let's say four years from now, and and how and how we put people in public office. I think that we really need to invest resources and times, and it has to come from the wards mm -hmm. to encourage people to vote. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, we don't spend enough time doing that, and and that's you know problematic. 
but also that's why the commissioner's race is extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, not that I want to get too much into that, <laughs> um, but it is extremely important, right? That we are electing city commissioners that are um, ensuring that everyone in the city is getting registered to vote. Mm -hmm. um, the ward system is archaic in many ways. Mm -hmm. It's been for a long time. And, you know, I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but I'm saying that there are things that need to change, mm -hmm. right? We need to make sure that that the people, again, the residents of the wards and the committee people that are elected mm -hmm. have a say in who they want their ward to endorse and have yeah. a say in who they want to be um, represented by, you know, from the ward perspective. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is a consolidation of power and traditional mm -hmm. power structures and, and how the party and, and the city has been run. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think there's a future forward and, and that we need to start doing away with that and, and starting to open it up, right? Mm -hmm. And there's this big initiative that I know Committee of Seventy has been part of with mm -hmm. the open ward system. Mm -hmm. um, and we should be following that model if we truly want to be a democratic, you know, city yeah. where democracy is enacted yeah. um, at all levels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that concept of openness, I, I think, has come up a lot, uh, you know, this, this past year in, in, this, in this campaign system, uh, in this campaign season. You know, and, and as far as the elections go, I think something that, that uh, a lot of folks, or at least some folks, don't realize about this this spring is that only certain voters will be able to vote on candidates uh, right. on, on on May 21st. Do, do you have any, any initial thoughts about how our, our primary system works in Pennsylvania? Should, yes. should it be different? We have a closed primary system. We have right a now. closed pr primary mm -hmm. system. So, you know, that's, I view that as problematic. Mm -hmm. I think that people, regardless of, should be able to vote. Mm -hmm. um, we know that at the city level, county level, we can't change that, that we have mm -hmm. to go through Harrisburg and, mm -hmm. and do that sort of um, policy change, which is the complicated part, yep, right? Yep. Um, but by being elected to city council, I will be, you know, I will sure fight for that to happen. Sure. Um, there's a lot of things that the state prevents us on doing on many issues and, and Philadelphians want it, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have to be transparent, um, but we also have to make sure that people are voting and mm -hmm. that people have the right to vote. And just because we have a closed primary where only Democrats vote and Republicans vote, right? Mm -hmm. What about all the other people that don't identify with a certain party mm -hmm. that in the general election, they have to choose from whatever was chosen in the primary. Yeah. And I think that's a failure in our system. I mm -hmm. think that everyone should have a voice despite of how they affiliate as to, you know, who gets to represent them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess like, like a lot of things in the city and in the state, because both are so old, whether it's the ward system or, or elections or election laws, which go back to 1937. I mean, there's just so many things we need to update. So again, well, like we'd have to come back to that uh, another day. So we, we have a few more minutes here. I'll, sure. I'm going to give you the last word. What's, you know, what's the one thing that you would, you know, put your, your political capital into, into accomplishment, accomplishing if, if you were to win, uh, win a term on council? That's the municipal Green New Deal. Okay. You know, um, from day one, um, I was talking about this earlier, actually, when, you know, we know how the system works here in the primary. And, and I think that this is a massive resolution that we have mm -hmm. to draft. Mm -hmm. And that comes with a bunch of policy ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And there are more complex, bigger ones, and then mm -hmm. other that are smaller. Mm -hmm. But we need to start transitioning our city. And mm -hmm. if there's something that I really want to accomplish, it's making sure that our city is transitioning to a green new economy. Mm -hmm. And that while we're doing that, that we are bringing our neighborhoods and not leaving people behind. Mm -hmm. Because we know that, you know, this is also a platform for, um, to tackle poverty and racial inequality in our city, which is a big driver of, you know, everything else yeah. and all the other issues that we face. And so, 
it will be the Green New Deal um, and making sure that we have a scientist leading the way in that way and then getting eight other city council members to agree, which to be honest, I'd be surprised if they don't agree on climate change mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. But maybe I'd be surprised. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, appreciate the idea. Go, go big or go home, right. as they say. Well, again, right, there are big things that we can do, mm -hmm. but there are smaller things. Mm -hmm. um, Councilman Squilla introduced a ban on plastic bags. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good way to start. Then we should start with styrofoams and single-use plastics, but then go, like I mentioned, right, expanding SEPTA, making mm -hmm. sure SEPTA is running on renewable energy, um, and committing city council to reduce carbon emissions to zero by, by the year 2030, which this is coming from the recommendations from the United Nations, right? Mm -hmm. um, we don't have a lot of time before we start seeing um, different effects of climate catastrophe. Mm -hmm. As someone who grew up in Puerto Rico, right, yeah. I know what a hurricane can do and Hurricane Maria, for example, that claimed over 3,000 lives. Um, and so here in Philly are, you know, most pressing um, problems right now that regard climate change are clean air and our asthma rates in our communities. But then if we look at the projections and the future of what's going to happen mm -hmm. by 2050, you know, a lot of the city could be underwater if we don't tackle climate change. Mm -hmm. And even more pressing than that, there are communities such as Hunting Park that are projected to be 15 degrees warmer than the rest of the city. And mm -hmm. so if we don't tackle, tackle construction and infrastructure in a way where we can weatherize as well, then we, we are failing our city. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, whole lot to talk about there. Um, so we are going to have to wrap it up. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground, I think, in, in just, just a handful of minutes. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, primary day is, is, is May 21st, big election. Um, we encourage you to use uh, Committee of 70's nonpartisan voter guide. You can find it at ballot.70.org. Um, you can also download the nonpartisan WeVote app uh, wherever you download your apps at home. Uh, and thank you to Thomas Skelton Harrison for uh, providing their generous support to make these uh, these broadcast these broadcast possible. So thank you so much, and Adrian. Thank you. Good luck on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast extra. And as we say in each and every episode of the Twenty by Seventy podcast, expect more Philadelphia.